Good morning. It's always a pleasure to be here, and Happy New Year. And, and um, I want to just take a few minutes. This is not in the message, but, you know, sometimes you have to give honor where honor is due. Um, I've been in the CMA for many, many years, and there was a time in the CMA when they were not very open to women preachers. And, but that didn't stop me. Amen. I preached anyway. And Pastor Al and Lori, I think I first met you guys at Global Impact. Yeah, that's where I first met them. And, you know, um, Pastor Peter and the leadership of this church, I want to take time to say thank you when very few people would open their doors to have me come and preach, you did. And I want to thank you, Long Island Alliance Church, for your warm welcome and the way you have supported me over the years. Donna Batiste Ministries exists partly because of you all. And I want to take time to say thank you with all of my heart that you guys have been such an integral part of my ministry and the formation, spiritual formation of my life that I want to say thank you. And it really didn't hit home, pastors and Sister Lori, until we had that meeting in Westfield. Because it was true, some churches I've gone to, I was not very well received. And some pastors had not been very nice to me. But I ended by saying that I wanted to give honor and thanks to all of the churches that opened their doors and welcomed me to preach. And you guys are one. So I want to thank you. And I think you should give yourself a good round of applause. Thank you so much. And keep, keep up uh, the warmth and the love that you have, especially in welcoming people. Not many churches have it, but I thank God that you do. Father, I come into your presence, God, this morning to preach this message as you have given it to me. You know, I'm not here to please anybody, not to offend anyone but to preach your message as you have given it. I ask, oh God, today, if anyone is discouraged in their faith, if anyone has come here searching, that would, they would make up their minds that this is it. This is the time I say yes to Jesus. This is the time I make my salvation sure. I pray for those who are struggling because we all do at one point in another in a walk with the Lord that they would also make their salvation sure to know that it does not depend upon them but it depends upon Jesus Christ. Father, I ask in any way the enemy Satan is trying to work that you would bind his hands, bind his work, set your people free that they can come into full abundance in Jesus Christ. You said you come that we might have life and have it more abundantly. 
And I pray that today. Have your will and your way as we speak about our hope is a new Christ. Let them leave here today understanding that you did it all. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. So our reading is, if you don't mind standing for the reading of the word, it's rather short. We're going to read 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and verse 12, which was the scripture verse for today. 1 John chapter 2, starting at verse 1 and verse 2, and then we'll go directly to verse 12. It reads, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice. In some other scripture, this as he's the propitiation for our sins. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for us, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now let's look at verse 12, which we read earlier. I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Here ends the reading of God's word. Amen? Amen. Please be seated. Thank you so much. I think people have the wrong idea of what the church is. I think people think that uh, church people are perfect. We never mess up. Uh, Church people are like saints walking around with halos. So the minute they see you make a mistake or they see you mess up, they're ready to criticize. Oh, and you call yourself a Christian. Oh, you go to that church. Oh, the church is full of hypocrites. But I want you to understand That's exactly the kind of people we need in church. If you think you're so righteous, then you don't need to come to church. But if you understand that you cannot live this Christian life in your own strength, this is where you find yourself. On a Sunday morning in church, any pastor word the assault will tell you, we don't care what you do Saturday night, Mm -hmm. But find yourself in church Sunday morning. Because you never know what God can do to turn things around. Amen? So our scripture, our title today is, Our Hope is in Christ. We as believers have hope because our hope is in Christ. Because according to the scripture we just read, he is our atonement. I'm sorry, first he is our advocate, secondly he is our atonement, and we have forgiveness on account of his name. He is our advocate, the first one. Where I'm going to read the scripture again, where it says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anyone does sin, We have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, meaning who speaks, um, who is an advocate. Uh, I like how the other version says, but if anyone does sin, 
we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. With the Father, because of Adam and Eve, sin, we are separated from God. And he would not hear us. You have to understand that when Adam and Eve sinned, there came a separation between God and man. And because of that, there is a distance. I, I, I want to start off with an example. Everybody's talking about Harry and Meghan, Harry and Meghan. How they gave up the royal family. Ooh. But you've got to understand, it may not be as serious for us, but back in the day, if someone were part of the royal family and they did that, they would have no access to the royal family anymore. They couldn't go to visit. They couldn't go to talk with them. As a matter of fact, it got so bad that it would be off with your head. So if they needed to go to meet with the queen or the king, they needed an advocate. Jesus is our advocate. Who is an advocate? Let me explain it to you. An advocate is like a lawyer who takes your case and is able to stand on your behalf because they have the knowledge you do not have to present your case. And on your behalf, they can stand and plead your cause. I had a situation with my landlord where false accusation was made about me to him. I couldn't say anything to him because he believed I was guilty because it had a plethora of people complaining. So guess what? I hired an advocate. I hired a lawyer. Yes, I did. And he had the knowledge that was needed to educate, to plead my case, and he was willing to stand on my behalf. This is what the Apostle John is speaking about when he calls Christ our advocate. Jesus' death on the cross, his sacrifice for our sins, earned him the right to stand before God the Father as our lawyer and seek pardon for your sin. So don't you tell me that you have sinned so badly or your sin is so bad that God cannot forgive you. Absolutely not. When Jesus Christ has done all that is necessary to stand before God and plead your case. Why do we need an advocate? We need an advocate because John 14, 6 says, Christ says, no man comes unto the Father except by me. So we need an advocate because of our own, we cannot go and stand before the Lord. Romans 3.23 says, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's why we cannot just go to God like that. Hebrews 9.22, it says, for without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Jesus had every right to be our advocate because he is righteous in that he had no sin. He was a perfect, satisfactory sacrifice in God's eyes. So he is called righteous, not by man, but by God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, God made him, meaning Christ, 
who knew no sin to be sent on our behalf so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we cannot come close to God unless we go through whom? Jesus Christ. We as believers have hope because our hope is in Christ because he is our advocate, the one who stands in the gap for us, speaks up for us, defends us with the Father. So we hope in him because he is our advocate. Our hope is in Christ. Yes, because he is our advocate, but also our second point will say he is our atonement. Let me read that for you again. It says, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if everyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. And who's that advocate? Amen. You guys are good students. Amen. Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the propitiation or atonement for our sins. Let me break down for you. This is where I'm going to spend the bulk of my time so that we can understand the role that Jesus Christ has in our life. I think too many people come to church and do not understand why Jesus came why Jesus had to die, and why Jesus had to go back to heaven. Uh, following, for being a Christian is not about coming to church. There are places in Africa, and I'm showing sure China, there is no church building. People worship, gather together under a tree, and sometimes they can't even meet because it's illegal to meet. So come on, saints. Coming to church does not save you. And this is what I want the second point to understand. So that if you're in the middle of nowhere all by yourself, and there isn't a Christian around you to encourage you, you don't have a Bible, you don't have a time to worship, you're still a believer because you have taken Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's what we need to understand. Because there may come a day when we may not be able to gather in a church. What you going to do? Jesus Christ is our hope because he's not only an advocate that he stands in the gap with us before the Father. He is our hope because he is our atonement. The word is an old English word for the word propitiation. It is the Greek word halisterion. It means the lid of the covenant. Could you imagine? That's what atonement and a propitiation means, the lid of the covenant. I was surprised, Pastor, when I read that. It means the mercy seat. The Hebrew word, kapuret, uh, it is related to the word atonement, which is kapur. It is what the Jews today refer as Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. It is the highest Holy day on the Jewish calendar. For us, it is Holy Week. When we remember the betrayal of Jesus Christ by Judas, the rigged up court cases that Jesus went through, and through his death on the cross for us, he became our atonement once and for all. And when we come together, we not only celebrate the atonement that he that he achieved through his blood. We celebrate his resurrection that took place that early Sunday morning. 
Let me explain to you a bit more, going back to the Old Testament, so that you get a general idea of what atonement is. Leviticus chapter 16, verses 15 to 16 says, Then he killed the goat on the sin of the sin offering that is for the people, and it is and his blood. Let me read it over again. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil, meaning into the Holy of Holies, and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make what atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of the transgressions and all their sins. So he's making atonement not only for the, for, um, in the holy place, he's making it for all of the people and all of their sins. The high priest in the Old Testament will sacrifice a bull and a goat sprinkle blood on the lid of the atonement or on the mercy seat, and this sprinkling will serve as a covering for sin. That's what atonement is. A covering for sin in the Old Testament. And so for that year that it's covered, God would look upon the people and would see what? The blood. And would not count their sin towards them. The Ark of the Covenant was a golden square box made up of two parts. The golden container which held the Ten Commandments and the law. And it was covered with one piece of gold shaped into the form of a lid. And topped with two angels at either end. All of this was done by the command of God. It was called the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. It was called the lid of the mercy seat. Or it was called the atonement cover. So there was a golden box. And in this box held the, the tablet of the law. Then over that box was a lid. One solid piece of gold. And uh, there were two angels that sat at either end of the lid. And then they would put the blood right between the lid. Here, and in the book of Romans, the writers refer to Jesus as a propitiation, which means literally the atonement cover the mercy seat. The same as the lid of the covenant in the Old Testament. What they're saying is that Jesus himself personified this thing. What happened is that when they would come and come into the Holy of Holies, there was something powerful that took place. The Lord would look down, and when he looked down, he would see the law, and the law would condemn everybody for their sin, and there would be no way out. But when the priest would come in, and put the blood on the mercy seat. When the Lord looked down, what did he see? He saw the blood. And he did not see the sins of the people. You get the importance of that mercy seat? Because without the blood, God would see the sin. 
Without the blood, you will be condemned. Without the blood, you will be guilty. Without the blood, there will be no way out. But because they came in once a year, how often they came in? Once a year. And they would put that blood, and that blood was atonement, a covering, no longer guilty, no longer condemned. But how long it lasted? One year. And they had to do it over and over and over again. Let me read what R.C. Sproul and Stephen Nicholas wrote in an article. Now, I know it's a bit slow because I'm doing more teaching today than preaching. Amen? So hold on with me, please. This is what he said. And I cannot improve on it, so I want to read it as it is in an article. He said, then there is John, chapter 20, verse 12. Mary Magdalene had come to the tomb of Christ, only to find it empty. As she stooped and looked down, she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. Back in Exodus 25, it speaks of two carved angels which were placed at either end of the mercy seat, just as Mary saw in the tomb. Now, all of this, now, now all we need to do is connect the dots. God desires to meet with his people, and the blood of the spotless lamb is the only means by which that meeting is made possible. The mercy seat of the Old Testament and the blood sprinkled upon it by the high priest foreshadowed what Jesus was coming to do. Christ did come. Christ did make the sacrifice. Christ was raised from the dead. Make no mistake about it. These are historical realities. The tabernacle was real. The Ark of the Covenant was real. The mercy seat was real. The cross was real. The empty tomb was real. And a real woman stood and looked at real angels, hallelujah, to show that Jesus himself was the amazing atoning sacrifice for you and for me. I think this is one of the best descriptions I've heard or read. Let me remind you, saints, when Jesus died on the cross, his shed blood was the sacrifice that he offered to the God the Father for your sin and for mine. It was offered once and for all time. We do not need to go and come to church and offer anything anymore. Jesus is our hope and Jesus paid it all for you and for me. Allow me again to explain it in another way. In the Old Testament, I, I mentioned it before, but I want to say it again. The law which, and the, the Ten Commandments and the law which were placed in the Ark of the Covenant held people accountable for their sin. They were guilty and condemned. But when the high priest would come into the Holy of Holies, how often? Once a year. He would sprinkle the blood of, of the sacrificed pure animal on the altar. So when the Lord would look down upon the sins of the people, where the Lord would condemn them, instead he would see what? The blood of the animals and would see their sins no more. 
I'm going somewhere, hold on. And he would see it for just one year. This, though, would have to be repeated year after year. But when Jesus came, because of his sacrifice and with the shedding of his blood, when God looks upon us, he does not see our sin. What does he see? He sees the blood of Jesus Christ. The sacrifice was done once and for all, never to be repeated again. Allow me to ask you this question. Do you see Pastor Al and Pastor Peter dragging in sheep here every week? Huh? When was the last time you saw them bringing a sheep, a goat, or a bull? Huh? When you come to church, what you come to do? We don't come to sacrifice anymore. Could you imagine if that was still happening and we all had to roll in here with a sheep, a goat, or a bull to sacrifice because of our sin during the week? Our thoughts are not right. We have to drag in, huh? Our actions not right. We have to bring something. Our speech not right. That's what it is. And that's what was happening. But when Jesus died on the cross, and he died once and for all, he didn't have to do it again because he was perfect. He was sinless. He was holy, the son of God. So the blood that was shed was shed once and for all. So when you take Jesus Christ as your savior and God looks down at you, what does he say? He say you covered in the blood, covered in Christ. He doesn't see your sin. Which one of us sit here would say we are perfect? Which one of us would sit here and say we didn't mess up this week? I know I can. Amen? But I know this. And he died for me. He sacrificed it all for me. And he does not have to do it again. I just need to come to him and say, Father, I've messed up again. Would you forgive me, please? Would you forgive me of hurting your heart? Would you forgive me of disappointing you? Would you forgive me for disobeying you? Because you said in your word, if I confess my sin, you're faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me. God not only forgives you, God cleanses you so that you're holy and washed and cleaned and blameless. You may blame yourself. Satan may blame you. Others may blame you. But guess what? Under the blood. No, we do not need to drag animals in here anymore because our hope is in Christ. He is our advocate, the ones who stand in the gap for us. He is our atonement, the one who paid the price for us. Now he is our hope because we have forgiveness on account of his name. That is our third point. I want you to walk out of here. No. I want you to float out of here today. Understanding who you are in Christ. 
So when people come to mess with you because they love messing with us as believers, I will tell people we are not perfect, but we are redeemed. Amen? So let me get on to my first point. I'm getting too excited. 1 John chapter 1, verse 12 says, I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Do we have forgiveness? Yes. Do you have it because you go to church? No. Do you have it because you serve in the church? No. Do you have it because you live a good life? No. Do you have it because you dress right, because you talk right, because you walk right, because you have the right personality? No. You have hope in Christ because you have forgiveness on account of his name. That's it. We understand now that there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. And it has to be a sinless, righteous person. Jesus, the Son of God, was the one chosen by God the Father to be the sinless, righteous sacrifice for us. Remember what Matthew 1.21 says. When the angel spoke to Joseph, he said, She, Mary, will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. John chapter 10, verse 19, Jesus himself said, The reason the Father loves me is that I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. So Jesus went willingly in obedience to die for us. John chapter 1 verse 21 says, The next day John, meaning John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming towards him. And he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Our hope is Jesus because Jesus paid it all, all of it. Not some of it, but all of it. Jesus paid it all despite what we have done. And he was qualified. He was sinless, perfect, without blemish, the Son of God who suffered and died so we could be forgiven on account of his name. There are those who believe that their sins are so wicked, so evil, that God could never forgive them. There is not a sin, folks, that God would not forgive except the sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Can I talk to you a bit about some of our heroes in the Bible? Because sometimes I think we think we have to live this perfect life and you can't. You can only live it through the strengthening of the Holy Spirit. Noah was a drunk. Marion and Aaron was jealous of their brother. Abraham was a liar. Moses was an murderer and an angry, disobedient leader. Jacob was a master deceiver. Judah was a sex monger. Samson was promiscuous. Elijah was always depressed. Jonah was blatantly disobedient to God. The apostle Peter was a betrayer and a backstabber. The apostle Paul was a murderer. The apostle John was an angry troublemaker. So what are you trying to tell me? That God can't use you because you messed up in the past? 
So what you're trying to tell me, that God cannot forgive your sin because you think it's so far gone, it's so evil, God can never use me? That is a lie from the pit of hell. It is a lie of Satan because all you have to do is to come and take Jesus Christ as your Savior, and that is it. You come to Christ and you have taken Christ as your Savior. Living the life means you have to live a life close in confession to God. When you mess up, you go before God. You ask forgiveness and you go on with your life. So listen, all of these fail God miserably, yet are considered heroes of the faith. We have come to Christ. He paid it all on the cross for us. That is why when we sin, we can come to him as is. For John 1, 9 and 10 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen to what Colossians 1, says. But now he has reconciled you to Christ's physical body through death to present you holy, unblemished, blameless in his presence. Don't you know that when you go home to be with the Lord, when you leave this place, when you stand before God's throne, guess how God would see you? Holy. He would see you blameless. He would see you righteous. Why? Because you have taken Jesus Christ as your Savior. You are covered in his blood. So he does not see the sin, but he sees what Christ has done for you, and you believe and accepted Christ as your Savior. There is more, just one more situation I want to talk about as I close. There are situations where people set up traps to cause the people of God to fail, to cause them to fail in their walk, they would harass them to the point that they leave the church. They would harass them to the point that they feel like they're praying and praying and God isn't answering. And because God isn't answering, they would give up. But let me tell you what the Lord says about people like that. Mark chapter 9, verse 42. But if you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone hung around your neck. I could give you a personal testimony of my younger sister who came to Christ. And from the time she came to Christ, she had a friend who would call her every Friday to go partying. Every Friday. And Saturday we had youth fellowship. So she would be too tired to come to youth fellowship. But every Friday, for years she did that. I prayed that God would protect my sister. But that's why you got to be careful. I'm talking to you young people especially. Anytime you see people distracting you from the things of God, they do not mean you any good. They want to tear down your relationship with God. They want to undermine your walk with the God. Because sometimes what you don't realize, adults and young people, that there are people in the world today who are jealous of your walk with God. 
because you have the courage to get up and come to church on a Sunday. You have the courage to come and be in Bible study. You have the courage to aim to endeavor to live by the standards of God, and people are jealous of that because you have the courage to do it. So this girl called my sister every doggone Friday. You could tell I was mad, right? Every Friday. And it went on for years till guess what? My sister left the church, went out in the world. After she had succeeded, guess what? The friendship broke off. But thanks be to God, you parents who are praying, don't give up. She eventually came back to the Lord years later, decades later. She came back, she became a deaconess in her church. And not too long after that, she died of a massive aneurysm instantly. Be careful of people who come around you, niggling in your ear, enticing you with things. And their aim is to pull you away from Jesus Christ. They're not worth it. Because there's going to come a day when you got to stand before the Lord, what would you say? Let me remind you, your hope is in Christ. He paid it all for you. There is nothing more you can do. Come, take him as your savior if you haven't done so yet. And for those of you who have taken Christ as your savior, what is the sin that is plaguing your life? Come confess it. And keep your confessions before the Lord as you live your Christian life. Remember, God is not looking for perfect people. He is looking for redeemed people. No failure is fatal in God's eyes. Mark 2.17 says, On hearing this, Jesus told them, It is not the healthy who needs a doctor but the sick. I have come to I have not come, he said, to call the righteous, but to call the sinners. Our hope is in Christ because he paid it all. We are redeemed. We are holy. We are righteous. We are blameless because we are covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. And guess what? Nobody can do anything about it to take it away because he is our advocate. Because he is our atonement and we are forgiven on account of his name. Our hope is in Christ because Jesus paid it all. Come on, say hallelujah this morning. Are you convinced that Jesus did it? That no matter how much you have messed up, I want you to understand that does not separate you from God. You come, you repent, and you get going again. Amen, but if you have not taken Jesus Christ as your Savior, your hope is not in Christ. Would we all stand together this morning, please? He is our advocate because he stands in the gap for us. He is atonement because he paid the price for us. We are forgiven because we are forgiven in his name. So I want to ask, eyes closed, please. I want to ask this morning, do you want to make your salvation sure? God is not looking for perfect people. He's looking for sinners who are ready to be redeemed. There is no way you're going to heaven 
unless you have taken Jesus Christ as your Savior. So I want to give the opportunity today, if that is you, if you could just raise your hand. I want to make my salvation sure this morning. I don't, thank you, thank you. Anyone else, thank you, thank you. Father, I pray for these three who lifted their hands this morning, God. That, Father, you, O oh God, would move in a powerful and in a mighty way. Father, I pray as pray after me, the whole church can pray. Dear Lord God, today I take Jesus Christ as my Savior. I believe that you died on the cross, that you were buried, that you um, rose from the dead. You're seated in heaven, and one day you're coming back for me. I repent of my sins, of going, living life my own way. But today, I repent, I confess, I ask your forgiveness, and I take Jesus Christ as my Savior. So there were three who lifted their hands. Please make sure you see your pastors and those of you who have prayed that prayer, meaning it. Uh, see Pastor Al, Pastor Peter about it. Now I want to ask one other, and this is just for prayer. Those of you whom the enemy has been attacking in your faith, trying to make your faith shaky, and you say, God, I just need to rededicate my life to you this morning. I know I may have messed up, but I'm saying right in the face of the enemy, that I know I'm a believer, I've messed up, but today I'm rededicating my life to the Lord. If that's you, just lift your hands quickly and put it down. Thank you, ma'am. Anyone else? Anyone else? Amen. Father, we love you, God. There's no question about it. People wouldn't be here if they didn't love you. But there are things that comes into our life to challenge us to beat us down, to weaken our faith, to make us think that we are not Christians, that we are not believers, that we are not living the life right. But today, I rededicate my life to the Lord. I take you, oh God. I commit my mind, my body, my soul to you. And I ask, dear Lord Jesus, that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit, to enable me to live this life. I cannot live it on my own, but with the strength of your Holy Spirit, I'll be able to live it. Jesus said in the word, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So strengthen them to live it, O oh God. And I pray against any sin that is attacking them right now, O oh God, that you will break it in the name of Jesus Christ. We plead the blood of Jesus Christ over it, that they'll be set free, O oh God, free in the name of the Father, free in the name of the Son, free in the name of the Holy Spirit, and you will give them victory that only comes from you. I want to thank you this morning in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen, amen. I know we have run over time, but I just want to give you, you can be seated, one quick example. I may have given it here, but I'm going to give it again that you never forget. There was a photographer who was taking pictures and he, he got a brand new camera 
And he went, you know, to the lake and whatnot, taking these wonderful pictures. And then he came back to his studio to develop the pictures. And the picture all had a blue tint. The grass was blue. The sky was blue. The tree blue. The, tr the birds blue. The little duckies on the plot blue. Everything was blue. And he said, but what happened? Why is it that this is a brand new camera? He forgot to take the, the film off the lens, which was blue. There's a lesson here. Everything that came through the lens was blue. When you stand before God, when you have taken Jesus Christ as your Savior, Satan will come and he will accuse you. Roll out the list of things you have done, said, and thought. But when God looks upon you, he will see you through the lens of Jesus Christ. And he will say, they're covered. They're forgiven. Get out of here, Satan. Amen? That's what you have. That is your hope in Christ. Were you blessed today? Were you encouraged today? Please share this with someone because there are too many Christians who believe that they have to be these perfect little, I don't know how you do it. You can't. And that's why you people get so discouraged in their faith because they try so hard to live it. But you cannot live it only through the empowering of the Holy Spirit and understanding that you're covered in Christ and nobody can take it away. God bless you this morning.